Hi, dreamers. This is Lucy, and welcome to another episode of the Self Made Expats with Lucy Jan, where I interview expats from all across the globe to share their inspiring and motivating stories. Today, I'm here with Lindsay Davis, the founder of Femtech Asia, Asia's first industry network for professionals in femtech. Lindsay was raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, then moved to Austin, Texas to attend university. And after living in Texas for a while, she moved to London in the UK and lived there for more than 10 years. In 2020, she moved to Singapore and founded One B Consulting, a management consultancy company. And then in 2021, she founded Femtech. Asia. She was also nominated as the most in- inspirational femtech CEO by the APEC Insider CEO of the Year Awards in 2023, and a finalist of the Global Inclusion Online Forum Business Inclusivity Award in 2022, and so many more. Femtech industry is growing rapidly, and as a woman myself, I'd love to learn more about the industry and how it helps increase awareness of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. Super excited to have you here today with us. Thank you so much, and I know it's so fun talking with such a, a global traveler. I mean, the fact that we're in the same region is so exciting. I feel like we we don't have to worry about time zones. We can actually just be together. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, it's such an honor to have you have you on the podcast. I have a lot of questions for you. I am super excited for our chat today. Uh, so you are originally well. You're you're raised uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and lived in Austin, Texas. I I love Texas. By the way, I travel there. Love love the food. Love. <laughs> and then you lived in London, and now you're based in Singapore. So you moved quite a bit. So I'm curious. Like, have you always wanted to live abroad since you were young, or? Oh, that's a great question. Well, first of all, I'm I'm as honored to be you know to to be your guest as as you say you are to host me. So so thanks again for having me. So yes, I, I kind of always knew at a young age. My my parents really instilled in us a lot of curiosity about the world, about culture. You know, they took us to a lot of art museums, a lot of sports games where you'd see people you know visiting for athletes from around the world. We go to different events in town. A lot of cultural fests, you know, anything they could do to kind of expose us to more of the world and more people. And I grew up in a small town, a suburb, right outside of Milwaukee, as you say correctly.、Mm-hmm. So it was kind of, I think, I knew at at a young age there was so much more in the world、um, to see. And so, you know, I always loved history class and and learning about the different parts of the world. And I had always hoped that someday I'd have a you know an international career. So I feel very lucky、oh. that. You know, My childhood dream has come true in so many ways, and I think it started with just saying someday I'm going to live in Europe. I didn't know where、oh, wow. in Europe, I didn't know what it was going to look like,、um, but I, I knew I wanted to live in Europe. That was kind of as far as the dream went. So I, I started my career in the U.S.、Uh, working in on in advertising agencies on the multicultural side,、um, then moved into.、Um, Kind of moved around a little bit, so did a few internships. Did an internship with the Walt Disney Company in Florida, so spent some time、oh, there.、Wow. Uh, moved to Spain、uh, during university for a year and worked with the UNHCR, so did some work there、um, while going to school, which was just tremendous. And then moved back to the U.S. Moved to Texas, obviously, you know, during the university years. Lived、uh, in Dallas, Texas, for a couple years. Oh, and、wow. then to London in I think it was July of twenty two thousand and seven. So spent some time in London and in the advertising agency world first. Then moved to the client side for a, a luxury brand, and ended up running their kind of their global operation, which was just incredible because I was basically on the road all of the time and visiting you know so many cities from you know Beijing to Thai to you know Bangkok to New York City, which was really fun. So I got to spend a lot of time in New York. So in time, I think my curiosity about the world expanded. That Europe kind of wasn't far enough, and I wanted to see more. And、wow. so, I, <laughs> all of that travel with work, I feel really. And then three and a half years ago, moved to Singapore, which has been amazing because I think we can do business in other countries or other cities, but until we actually live there, we really don't、yeah. have a sense of a place. So I feel really fortunate to live in Singapore, to live in the region, just because there is so much growth here. Wow! <laughs> from the U.S. 
But even for you, like even in the U.S., you moved quite a bit, like, you know, from, uh, you know, Wisconsin to, you know, Milwaukee to like, you know, Austin, Texas, and then Dallas, Texas. I mean, like even just across the country, it's different, right? Very I guess like you're kind of like building your muscles. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you know, I mean, one of the, the things I think I learned was kind of that comfort with being, you know, uncomfortable, you know, having to meet, mm. meet all new friends, build entire new networks. And I've done that just throughout my whole career, you know, for some people, that's, I guess, maybe more exhausting for me. It's really invigorating to meet new people and constantly be building networks and meeting new people and, and creating new communities. That's, that's definitely a passion for me. So, and something I enjoy, I, you know, I'm energized by. So for me, all the moves around the world have been really special and a real treat. And I think that ability to reinvent and find something new is a challenge, of course, but also a real gift. So I feel fortunate. Well, I, I hear you. Sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm asking myself, like, am I, am I too addicted to, like, you know, like starting over? You know, starting over. You know what I mean? Like finding new community, finding new friends, and then a lot of people like asking me, like, oh, aren't you like, you know, be scared? Why don't you like just like, you know, just not instead of starting over again, just like you know, settle here, which is not a bad thing at all. But like, you yeah. know, uh, but I guess yeah, it's it's really cool to hear from you that. Well, maybe. Um, the same perspective I do that it doesn't feel like starting over it feels like building you know it feels oh. like it's just building on what we learned in the last place or building on the community we had and that's just more people we can help connect and more people we can support and more people wow. we can introduce to new cultures it's you know the role we play I think in an international world now is we all play everyone whether they live in the country they grew up in or elsewhere is to you know be positive ambassadors for where they're from and positive ambassadors to you know, the countries they're in to really, you know, respect the local cultures, learn about the local cultures and be a part of those local cultures and communities. So maybe we're just building. Wow. I love that. Like it's not a starting over, it's a building. I love that. I love that. <laughs> so when I first moved to London, so many people said, oh, I would love to do that. But I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't move. And I thought, well, yes, yeah. you can. I can do it. You can do it. You know, so yeah. I I always encourage people to just know that they can do it. You know, the hardest part is obviously the visa. You know, the hardest yeah, part of is course. the job overseas and, and mm. the work and the legality. But mm -hmm. it's absolutely possible. I, you know, absolutely it is. Yeah, I know. I know. You've, you've done it, right? So yeah. definitely, definitely. Yeah. So uh, you moved quite a bit. And uh, as we said, like living abroad is really cool. Like, you know, new community and then building new life and stuff like that. It's really cool. But um it comes with inevitable challenges from my experience as well. Uh, from your own experience, what were some of the uh, the challenges, you know, you faced when you moved to London? And obviously Singapore is like completely different region, right? So like, can you like share with us, you know, what were some of the challenges? Sure, absolutely. You know, I mean, depending on the country, I'd say the biggest challenge is obviously language. So when I first moved mm -hmm. to Spain, my, I had, you know, I, I spoke Spanish, but I think speaking Spanish in a school setting versus in a, you know, a, a, a public setting or a conversational setting versus in a work setting or my internship setting, obviously all different levels of Spanish required. And, you know, what I thought I knew a lot of times I didn't. So I'd say language can be the first challenge, but obviously mm -hmm. moving to London um, was a lot easier. And then moving to Singapore, of course, where everyone speaks English is, is, you know, is quite easy. So I'd say language is, you know, the first challenge. Uh, we talked a little bit about community, you know, as fun as it is, it can also be really difficult and mm -hmm. building friendships, you know, so much of our, our close friends, it's because we have a history with them. And so, you know, reestablishing not only a professional network, but a personal network, mm -hmm. people can, you know, really, you know, share our, our thoughts with and spend time with as friends is obviously, you know, a challenge to so making sure we have that supportive community, not just that professional, professionally supportive. Mm -hmm. And then I'd say, you know, I think moving to new places also, you know, finding new mentors and new sponsors, mm. uh, new peer-to-peer -peer mentors even, it's really reestablishing those networks and creating those networks to really understand the nuances yeah. where we live and the opportunities and the challenges. Uh, so I, I'd say, you know, a lot of it, I guess, in conclusion of all of everything I've just spoken about briefly is building the network is mm -hmm. just a huge a huge undertaking but completely possible and i think that's where the brain really gets to be creative and be open yeah. up to opportunities and i think we see things differently when we move around the world and mm -hmm. i think we can even start using that phrase people say like if it doesn't matter in five years don't stress about it now and i think putting that <laughs> you know look 
and thinking like, you'll find an apartment. The first one might not be your dream apartment, but you'll find a flat, you know? Yeah. So it, it's it's just kind of taking things in stride a little bit and accepting, again, that discomfort of just everything not working out perfectly and, and taking it as an experience rather than, uh, you know, a failure or a crisis or, or, you know, attributing anything else to it. Wow. I love that. If it doesn't matter. Most challenging for you. Wow. That's a good question. Um, so the first, well, okay. The first country that I think you and I have similarities. I think like during university years, you moved to Spain. I moved to Sweden because like Sweden, completely a new country, like completely out of nowhere. Because like at that time, a lot of people, because they want to go to the U.S. to improve their English, right? Because I'm from South Korea. But I wanted to go somewhere completely so different. <laughs> and Sweden was just like one of the countries out of nowhere. Let's go to Sweden. Um, yeah, there, I mean, for me, um, as an Asian, I, like, food was the the challenge. Because, like, we, we eat rice, like, every day. <laughs> but, like, for example, in Sweden, uh, like they don't really eat rice much. Usually the carbs are coming from potatoes or, or bread. So that was very difficult for me to, 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 to adjust to new culture, new, new country. I think the food is number one. But then the next country that I moved to is Singapore. Singapore is very similar to Korea. So it's Asia, rice, everything, the food wise. And, and language for me, actually, like, you know, English is my second language. So yeah, like I would say, you know, I kind of like needed to build my muscle towards there. Yeah, like I guess like food was definitely <laughs> number one. And friends as well, like building, like making new friends and the building a new community. And then um, and then also like feeling a little bit distant from my like childhood friends. And then like, oh, like I'm not being part of what they're going through. And then they, I'm not the I'm not the person who they're reaching out to anymore. You know, when when, when something happened, they feel like, oh, my gosh, what's what's going to happen to our friendship? I think that's one of the things that uh, was quite difficult for, for me to accept in, in the first couple of years. But then, you know what? It's OK. You know, it's life. You know, I, I'm going to meet new, new, amazing people here as well. And then it is okay. So that's one of the things that was challenging for me. Do you, do you, do you resonate yeah, with me? Thank you, for sharing. <laughs> thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. I mean, um, food was not a challenge, so I love the food. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's been, that's been nice and easy. Um, yeah. And as far as it's interesting to think about the, the, the longer I've lived away from my original country, obviously being the US, my, my, my original, I call it my original country because I do consider the UK more my home um, mm. just because I spent more of my adult years there. So I, mm. I, you know, I consider, you know, London's kind of when I think of where I'm from, London, of course I say the US, but my you know, country of origin obviously being the US, which I love. Um, I, I definitely think there's that point in time where you just realize you maximize the time that you have with people when you see them and you mm. reach out as much as you can and they reach out as they can. And of course, yeah. you know, with, the changes of experiences that you have, there are going to be some differences or maybe not able to connect on it. Yeah. But I think the, the fundamentals are there of, of what we all want. We all want, you know, positive relationships, a solid career, um, stability and safety uh, to make mm -hmm. our choices as we want. So I think with those things in common, you know, the fundamentals of many friendships stay um, stay in place, which, and, and it's a treat because everyone traveling back again after COVID, I've already had a ton of visitors coming to see me in Singapore. So it's so fun to have friends here, you know, from yeah. Australia or the Netherlands or wow. uh, the US, you know, California or Great Britain. So it's fun to get to host so many people around the world in all these, all these countries I've lived. It's, you know, it's fun to be a, a tour guide during their time <laughs> and Singapore is like one of the popular places that like a lot of people want to visit there and they also live there as well so I guess like your friends must be really happy to have local there like you living um, in Singapore so you can kind of guide the, you know be a tour guide <laughs> absolutely absolutely I certainly wouldn't call myself a local but I would definitely say living local anyway uh, but yeah and you know I think it's a really great place again and you know I think either connecting through the airport connects to so many amazing places and it's such an easy airport and it's just a fantastic airport actually. So it's an easy place to connect through or to just mm -hmm. visit as an end destination. So I kind of feel like I should work for like the Singapore tourism council, you know, or a, a board because I just love it so much. Here. So it's so easy to talk, you know, about how great, uh, you know, a city it is. It's been a really great experience overall. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I love Singapore as well. Like their like airport system is so efficient. It's so, so easy. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> fly in and out quickly and, and in touch with so much of Southeast Asia within two hours, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. You can go to Bali, just like two hour flight. Yes. Thailand, two hour, right? Like it's amazing there. Fantastic. <laughs> tons of access, tons of access for travel. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I agree. So yeah, we talked a bit about your career uh, initially, but like mm-hmm. I am really amazed at your career that you built. So like, you know, you start your career like in sales uh, in the US and then uh, and then in London, you were an international managing director at a luxury lifestyle group uh, mm-hmm. before you start your own business in 2020 in Singapore. You're like, I was like looking at your kind of like experience and your career is like, wow, like she's done a lot of things. You were like, if I'm not correct, if I'm not mistaken, you're a board member in London, many, many organizations, and you've done a lot of activities there. Wow. Like she's superwoman. <laughs> so I'm curious, like, can you share with us more about your corporate career uh, and how you built your career globally, like from the US and London? Yeah. Sure, sure. No, I'd love to. Thank you for that. And I, I certainly wouldn't say superwoman. I feel like for all of us, you know, we're working so hard, we get to just be super people and, you know, <laughs> do best we can every day. Uh, so I started, as I mentioned, in the advertising agency world, I always worked on the account management side. So really enjoyed it, worked for great agencies, always more on the privately owned rather than kind of the big agency side, which was really nice. So we had some very special independent agencies and I met some of my greatest friends through this time. I found myself more and more working on luxury brands and, you know, uh, kind of top spenders, mm-hmm. uh, customer experience with a lot of loyalty programs or membership based organizations. So really it was around kind of that top 1% or high net worth and ultra high net worth is kind of where I started pivoting my career and a lot of my brand work. And that wasn't even intentional, I'd say. It was just more where, you know, the, the, the clients, you know, I, I was put on and ended up excelling in. Mm. So I started in advertising and I knew after a while that I, I didn't necessarily want to work on the agency side, though I loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I wanted to move to the client side for the other side of the experience. So mm-hmm. I, I moved to London that I was going to work in an agency for a while because that was the easiest transition to make. Obviously, something I know versus trying, you know, a new country and yes. an industry. So I moved with an agency to London and after just a couple years uh, was basically contacted by Quintessentially and brought over to start their their marketing team. They did have wonderful marketeers on staff, but I moved over to the marketing side initially. But what I found in time was that actually my, my gift was more of the general management. So I started moving more into operations or global business development, uh, Mm. franchising networks, uh, a lot of it based on client management, client relationships and and, and account relationships and account management. So I found that that was really where I started to find my my special place was that mixture between high end customer experience Mm. and community building and client management was really what I what I enjoyed and was was pulled to regularly. Uh, having said that, I think operationally, I, you know, I, I think I've always been quite, uh, you know, pedantic about, you know, standard operating procedures and, you know, fulfilling commitments and these types of things. So mm-hmm. I always had a very operational excellence mindset. Mm-hmm. So after living in London for a number of years, when I moved to Singapore, there was definitely a gap for my skill set, especially in that high-end customer experience space that mm-hmm. I started my agency with that as a focus. In time, I've moved more into kind of more business product and strategy development mm-hmm. in the consumer and tech spaces, specifically is where I, I work with the majority of clients. But what's been really fun is to actually expand my client work beyond Singapore, which I have wonderful local clients here. And actually expand that to work with, you know, the kingdom of Bhutan to do a lot of work in Vietnam. So to actually expand beyond just Singapore and really um, find opportunities throughout the region to uh, to make impact and also to learn. 
So after working as uh, or launching my consultancy here and, and having good success, wonderful support from amazing clients, I, I feel very fortunate for that. I was able to say, you know, I've always done a lot of, of work in the community space. What, what could I work in outside of that, outside of just the customer experience? And so kind of working in projects on DE&I, um, I saw that there was a gap that in other markets, we had femtech, female health or women's health and technology groups, but we actually didn't have a community representing kind of Asia as a whole to really raise the voice and the profiles of the businesses and individuals, entrepreneurs here. So that is where I ended up launching, you know, Femtech Asia or Femtech Association of Asia. Either way, Femtech Asia is easier and quicker to say. Uh, so that's when I launched that in October of 2021. And we're now across nine countries with over 50 companies, which I know sounds small, but you know, it's just a growing industry here that APAC, excuse me, not APAC, Asia only represents about 14% of femtech businesses worldwide. So we're really, you know, we're, we're seeing that connectivity across the region to be quite strong with members everywhere from, you know, Indonesia to Hong Kong to Singapore and beyond. Wow, wow. Definitely like femtech is like one of the growing like industry in the market. Uh, but I'm just curious, like you were working advertising and the agency side and then like uh, and then moved to client side and then, you know, working in the luxury uh, side and also like with the consultancy company, work with tech companies and global companies and helping them expand into like other markets as well. Yeah. But like, I guess like like then like transitioning into, I guess, like, like I, I wouldn't say completely different because you were already like building communities for sure, before sure. as well. But like. My question is like, how, like, was it like, were you scared or, or like, were you like, it definitely is a out of comfort, right? How did you kind of like, <laughs> how did you, um, how did you like tell yourself? Yes. Okay. Let's do it. You know, let's do this. I'm not scared. This is, this is something that I want to do. How did you, how did you do that push? I think like, I'm asking this question because we, we, we have a lot of like, wishes and desires and thinkings in our head but like it's so difficult to have the push you know the, the, the like um push button so uh yeah try to try to uh learn from you how how did you do that <laughs> oh thank you probably it's probably no different than how you just started you know decided how to start <laughs> podcasts right i mean you just thought i'm gonna do it i see a gap and i'm gonna do it yeah so that's true that is true actually sometimes yeah. the initial phase is ignorance is bliss you know you don't mm -hmm. know how much podcast is going I to be agree. <laughs> so perhaps was the same thing but what I, I I did know that there was a problem that we did not mm. have an organization that was uniting the region to really have a presence in this amazing industry to actually showcase our talent and our entrepreneurs and and our businesses from, from the region so I knew there was a problem. I knew everyone knew each other. They were all connected, but there wasn't really that formal center point where we could mm -hmm. talk about what we're doing, the categories we represent, the knowledge we have, the solutions that we're creating um, and more. So I think the, it, it was, to me, it was pretty low risk when I started because I had my consultancy. And so I knew that I had funds coming in from that. Mm -hmm. Small and it really, I didn't even think of it as a business when I started. I just thought I'll, I'll go, you know, I'll just start this and see where it goes. So I think I did have the luxury of having clients and working in the, you know, the luxury customer experience space, um, being very fortunate as far as that goes. Now, having said that, obviously the hours turn longer and longer on yeah. both on, uh, with with the side project, right? The side hustle that starts. Uh, but as much as we were talking about how building communities and new networks really energizes me, I found the women's health space to be very energizing as well. And the reason mm -hmm. for that is that there's, there is so much opportunity. So mm -hmm. we look at markets like the U.S. that represent about, you know, over 50 percent of femtech businesses worldwide. And there's even still opportunity in the U.S., so looking at Asia, which really were just smaller scale when it comes to the number of businesses we have. But certainly, mm -hmm. to me, the biggest opportunity for growth, the number of internet users being the highest, uh, the aging population, we have a large number yeah. of Asian population, which is amazing to try to find solutions for. 
whether yeah, it's you know, people impacted by menopause at work, whether it's an aging population and chronic illness, being able to solve those challenges. Maybe it's even mm -hmm. accessibility that with limited mobility comes difficulty, you know, getting to the doctor. So I, I see these as real solutions that are also commercially viable. So I think mm -hmm. for me, it started as a passion for, you know, advocacy for women and wanting to support women of which 80% of our femtech founders here in Asia are female. It quickly turned though from kind of more of a DE&I exercise and being, you know, supportive of women and wanting to promote women-led businesses uh, and promote solutions for women's health of which there is a tremendous underserved, under-researched and underfunded community. It quickly turned into, wow, this is a real commercial opportunity that this is the same to me as fintech, agritech, prop tech, in that there are as many opportunities for financial success and achievement as we see in these other industries. And so a lot of what we're doing now is educational based, you know, teaching both consumers as well as investors about this mm. growing industry to make sure that we're fighting perceptions that it's strictly social impact, which to me is a wonderful byproduct of a very solid commercial model that we have, mm -hmm. uh, or commercial models that we have among the many businesses mm -hmm. that, um, you know, it's not niche, you know, over 50% mm -hmm. of the world is, is female. So, you know, yeah, <laughs> absolutely niche, uh, that <laughs> definitely opportunities for growth. And with kind of early adopter, long-term investors, I think we'll see a lot of strong outcomes from these very talented entrepreneurs that we have mm -hmm. in our association. Mm -hmm. I love what you said earlier about that, you know, it started from passion because you, you absolutely, you know, you want to help women and it's wellness, like woman wellness, but at the same time, but like you're seeing, you know, commercial opportunities there. I think a combination of both is amazing. Like you're, you're doing, you know, running this business out of passion, something that you're really like passionate about, but at the same time, there was a commercial opportunity. Um, that's, uh, that's really great <laughs> to hear that. Yeah. I look, you know, I, it's funny in time when I thought back to like, why did I actually start this or what would I describe? Mm -hmm. And I think of it as three parts. It's like, obviously it started with just a passion, just say, Oh, mm -hmm. I'm going to, you know, I'm, I want to do something. I want to do something. I want to do something that, that makes an impact. Then it started getting into curiosity, like where mm. are, you know, and I'm a very curious person. I'm, 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 you know, always asking questions. So it's really, you know, what, what's out there and why is women's health needing this support? And then really seeing the purpose from there that I saw a problem and it's solving that problem. So definitely not leading with product, which I think helps or leading mm. with product helps. It's actually like, what are we trying to solve? What is the problem yeah. that we're trying to to, to fix. And that's been really great. Much as I'm sure with your podcast, you started because you felt that there wasn't a gap or there wasn't a, a, a um, someone filling the gap for that expat mm. experience of entrepreneurship. So I think it's similar maybe. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> wow. I'm like, so like moved by all the words that you, 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 you share with me. <laughs> so, you know, it's not just words. It's really how I feel. It's authentic. You know, it's genuinely how I feel that, you know, it's, there are so many amazing entrepreneurs in this world and to get to share the stories yeah. and support each other and entrepreneurship can be super lonely. You know, a lot of times it's me oh, in a room. So with lonely. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I had to get a dog to help me, you know, cope. <laughs> The sidekick. So, you know, it, it's no, but in all seriousness, it can be a lonely journey. So to get to talk with other people like yourself or entrepreneurs, to be inspired by other entrepreneurs, I think is really, it, and to hear their stories and the, you know, the tough parts of it. You know, huge. Again, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there are even, lots of yeah, yeah. Even just talking to you as well today, I feel like, you know, I feel understood. I feel seen. I feel heard. Uh, I feel like I'm not here alone, you know, and I feel inspired, like, oh my gosh, like I, you know, you're like, you know, doing such an amazing, amazing, amazing activities in this world, in this market, in Femtech. And it just inspires me, like when I, whenever I see like these amazing entrepreneurs and also not just an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur, expert entrepreneur. It's like, uh, you know, <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a completely new country. So um, I'm sure there are other kind of like, I guess, like. I don't know, I should call it challenges, but like other things that we need to kind of like work through it, right? So um, absolutely. super. Absolutely. absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, and you're, you're exactly right. It's starting a business in another another country or countries now as, as we're regional. Yeah. 
um, and and building those connections across a whole region um, and, and understanding a culture that is not you know homogenous. We have um, you know many 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 different cultures here across the region, so it's making sure that we are being inclusive and respectful of all the different cultures and making sure that we're also relevant from a commercial mm. sense and making sure that we're localizing appropriate yeah. and providing different needs for the different stages. So for instance, mm. in Asia, 50% of the femtech businesses are founded in Singapore. Singapore mm. is obviously very different than Vietnam, yeah. than Indonesia, than, than Hong Kong, than, and all of these countries are different. Yes. So it's how are we making sure that we're relevant for all of these founder needs and investor mm. needs throughout the region and making sure that we're not speaking in generalizations, rather getting quite specific with the mm. needs of each consumer base and of each founder base and of each investor base. Mm, wow, absolutely, absolutely. Even like Asia alone is so huge, like each country is very different <laughs> from looking at your face. <laughs> yeah, it's so different. Um, so like for me, like I know like what femtech is, but I, I'm not definitely an expert. So when I hear femtech, the two words that come to my mind is, you know, the menstrual care, right, which we are the most like the, the most common one. And the another one comes to mind is like sexual awareness, sexual wellness, right? Those are the two words that come to my mind when I hear femtech, but I know it's so much more than that. So if you know, can you share with us like more about what femtech is? Like, you know, how the femtech industry is in, in Asia, in you know, yeah, like if, if for for anyone who's listening to the podcast to 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 raise more awareness uh, of femtech. Thank you for that. And yeah, you've definitely done your research. I mean, you just you answered you answered you know the, your own question there because the top two categories that we see for femtech in Asia are menstrual care and menstrual health, and then sexual well being and mm. and. So uh, doesn't mean there aren't other businesses, but those are the two we've seen the most growth so far as far as categories go. So femtech is exactly, as you say, female technology or femtech. These are you know, services, products, diagnostics, whatever it may be, that are focusing on finding solutions for women's health. Mm -hmm. So specifically, you know, as far as categories go, you're, you're absolutely right that there are things specific to women, menopause, uh, menstrual care, um, mm -hmm you know, uh, fertility. So things like oh, yeah. fertility, yes. Care. Mm -hmm. But also it, it is more inclusive when we start looking at, you know, chronic illness or again, fertility, which, which is often uh, with, with the, the gentleman's side where, where there can be challenges as well. Mm -hmm. So it's not, mm -hmm. it's not just the female side. So femtech really, when we look at it or women's health really does affect everyone because it's such a key part of our lives in our mother's lives, our sister's lives, you know, mm. and our friends' lives or, or whomever it may be that, that we're interacting with. And, and, you know, and please know when I say women's health, I, I'm speaking of that inclusively to make sure that we're not just saying women, you know, because there are uh, individuals who aren't, who don't identify as women who menstruate. Mm. So we're inclusive of everyone when we're talking about women's health. So, you know, but for the, for the purpose of, of, you know, of, of the discussion, I'll, I'll consider, I'll keep saying women's health, mm -hmm. um, but knowing that we mean that as an inclusive term. So, yeah, so you're exactly right. Um, but when we look at how much women are impacted, you know, women are more likely to suffer from chronic illness. Um, women are actually more likely to suffer from uh, mental wellness challenges or issues. Mm. Um, so we actually see a lot that, that does impact women more. And in addition to that, we actually have uh, less research on women's wellness, less data. There's definitely mm. a, a gender research gap that, mm. that, that we have from women being omitted from clinical trials for, for many years in the medical, the medical world. So, you know, this is where the femtech businesses are so impactful because they're doing such great work and bringing these insights to the forefront and sharing their data, obviously anonymized, but you know, sharing data that can really help others learn from the experiences. Mm. Moreover, it's really starting to provide more options for women and more education for women and more communities for women to have mm. safe spaces and be aware of the options that they have that maybe what they're experiencing isn't the average uh, menstrual experience. Perhaps they have you know, polycystic mm. or something that's causing heavy bleeding or severe cramps. Mm. You know, with a diagnosis, women can, a quicker diagnosis, women hopefully will not be able to suffer uh. as long. So it's actually people being aware 
that maybe what they're going through isn't the average experience and it can be better. And that's really what we like to think femtech, you know, being able to solve is providing options and choices for women to educate mm -hmm. themselves and, and ask the questions of their medical providers or have a, mm -hmm. um, uh, a supplemental support. Maybe it's delivery of at-home birth control, you know, to, or to the home. Mm -hmm. birth home. Yeah, or, yeah. Uh, the discretion of an at-home STI kit, testing kit. So there's mm -hmm. really so many opportunities um, when we look at what women want. And when we, when we did our survey here in Singapore specifically uh, last year, we found that women were most, co most concerned about number one, cost, number two, that they trusted the brand or the company, and yes. three, it was convenient. And I thought yes. that was surprising because so many people talk about uh, people being shy and you know, not wanting other people to know and being discreet. When actually, you know, cost, trust, and the convenience mm -hmm. uh, women in Singapore are most concerned about. And convenience makes sense. This is a busy, busy city. And, <laughs> you know, the women in this city are are amazing. They're so smart, work so hard, yeah. um, different activities outside of work, families to take care of. So they need things that really fit into their lifestyle rather than having to fit their healthcare solution. Exactly you know, mm -hmm. in their life. So it's, yeah. So I, I think there's a lot of opportunity. I mean, how do you feel maybe from either Canada or South Korea's perspective? How do you think about women's health from those perspectives? <sighs> That's a good question. I think like when, I, when we were chatting about the uh, women's wellness, I just like thought about like, you know, I don't know, like I think Canada and South Korea is so different. Like Canada is North America, definitely more, I don't know, open i would say i don't know if it's the right verb to use but we're open but like south korea things have changed but like south korea and singapore is then again it's different right but i remember um even talking about like what i am going through like that's related to women's health even with friends it's just it's not even shy it's just more about we're not used to it so i guess like i'm not like shy or you know like you know to talk about this thing but it's just we're not used to talk about this thing so i think like i think fan pack and what you do is really amazing because it it brings awareness like even like you know educating women in asia that hey it's okay to talk about this it's okay to you know people are talking about it so it's not it's like it's norm it's becoming a norm to talk about it because even like i remember when i was you know, many years ago, uh, but when I was seeing gy gy gynecologist, gyne, right, I was like feeling like, I don't know, not feeling a bit weird because at that time it was 10 years ago, right? Oh, like if you're seeing gyne, it means like you're pregnant. <laughs> like it's kind of perception, right? So that's, uh, that's a long, long time ago. Maybe like things have changed now in Korea, for example, but uh, but like, you know, you, there are many reasons you go you go to see gyne, but like you feel like, oh my gosh, am I going to see gyne? <laughs> I agree with you. I, I absolutely agree with you. And thank you for saying that. And I think, first of all, you raised the point about normalizing the conversation. It's, mm -hmm. it's why I say I'm going to see my general practitioner. I'm going to see a pediatrician. I'm going, you know, with my child, I'm going to see a, an, you know, uh, uh, you know, I don't, I, you know, a million other doctors, but we have to whisper gynecologist, you know, why, yeah. why, why is that? It's, it's the human body and, you know, reproductive care is just healthcare. It's, it's really yes. that simple. It, it's not, you know, we call it femtech, but I would love it to get to the point someday where we can just say health tech. And that's really inclusive of all mm -hmm. elements of yes. everyone's needs, you know? Mm -hmm. So I love that you brought that up. I do think that you're correct in saying that there is, I don't want to say shame everywhere. And I can't speak for every country. I can only speak from like personal experience. There does seem to be in some of our countries um, the U.S. included, of course, some shame or taboo or mm -hmm. just don't talk about or or you don't bring up at the dinner table, you know, yeah. <laughs> I understand some of it. But, you know, I think it, it's really allowing the discussion to not be thought of as something we need to hide or is, mm -hmm. you know, and that's really where the business side is so powerful because it's really so, yeah. this is a commercial opportunity. And when we're talking about, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, a global femtech market that is worth, you know, quoted up to 60.1 billion by 2027. That's not a small wow. amount of money. So, and, and the growth is, is exponential. So I think that's where it's really, that's where we're going to see change is when we really start seeing this as a commercial opportunity, have the conversation, um, encouraging more founders to move into the space. 
And also once we start pivoting it away from strictly a premium offering and moving into a more mass market appeal and mm. mass market uh, solution, mm-hmm. I think that that's really where we'll see great strides. So, you know, right now I think we do see femtech more the trending through the US or through Europe. Um, maybe in Singapore, like I said, is kind of the largest number of femtech businesses along with Japan. So mm. how, is this, you know, how is this moving out of kind of the premium audience and really mm. making sure that we are providing solutions for women all over Asia and all over the world. And so that's kind of the next step is that with the growth from commercial success, how can businesses mm. create opportunities, products, services that can reach more consumers? Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's going to come from education and people knowing that, like you just described, that, you know, going to the gynecologist isn't because just you're pregnant or, you yeah. know, it's, it's actually a part of, you know, one's healthcare, uh, one's healthcare kind of regime or one's healthcare, you know, plan to make mm-hmm. sure that we're incorporated, that we're taking care of ourselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love that, like earlier, I, I remember you mentioned that, like something about like, you know, checking your like sexual wellness singing like at home like you don't even have to go to see a doctor that thing i think that's really powerful as well um it's convenience too but like uh yeah i think um many people are reluctant to do it because yeah yeah a education especially asia i don't i don't know about north america but in asia we don't really there's no education like that 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 much so um it's weird, right? It's weird to us, but like now it's changing. And then it's definitely what women need, what, what everyone needs to do. Right. And then once there are, there is more convenience to that, once there are more technologies that support, I think, uh, it's becoming more, you know, rather premium to like, just like mass, uh, audience, uh, it's, it's huge. Uh, I think. Absolutely. And this is also where I, I get really excited about our younger generations. Mm. I I think, you know, millennials and younger is there's just this wonderful next generation coming up and demanding more, you know, mm-hmm. more the healthcare and, you know, don't want to just quote unquote, live with it, whatever it is, yeah. it's, you know, we need to make change and we, and we want to live a healthy yeah. life. Well-being, we see trends in a lot of articles about how uh, well-being is, is considered, you know, in Singapore, our survey said that half of the women we, we interviewed said that their health and well-being is treated as a priority. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, you know, about 50%, having said that, we saw 9% of women still saying that they just don't take care of their health at all because they put it last on the list after their their parents' health, their children's health, their yeah. husband or wife's health, their, you know, their partner's health. So, it, it, you know, we still do have a number of people and women in particular who are sacrificing their well-being to mm-hmm. take care of others. And there, and, you know, we all talk about that, you know, when you're on an airplane and, you know, you need to, to, you know, to put your own mask on first, right? So the best thing you can do to take care of others is take care of yourself. And we hope that a lot of the businesses that, that Femtech um, includes are providing those solutions, whether it's Mm -hmm. support out of the hospital, like Fern Health provides, where women who have just had a child actually get that, you know, that telehealth, that support. um, Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's really great. Or Ease Healthcare mm. um, is here in Singapore and also the Philippines that is actually wow. creating these at-home, you know, blood testing and at-home um, STI testing and actually even preventative mm. gummies for UTI infection, you know, trying to wow. actually... Yeah, UTI is huge as well. UTI yeah. is huge too. Yes, yes. Thanks for bringing that up. Yes, that's true. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's really great to see these businesses... Mm-hmm. You know, creating mm. solutions that are real solutions that women want. And mm. of course, it's going to keep pivoting as the market changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the businesses and the founders are doing such an amazing job of expanding from what kind of was before more of a 20-something market. Now we're mm. looking at 30-somethings and 40-somethings. And how are more women of different ages, um, mm. different socioeconomic backgrounds, how are we including mm. more women in this, in this, the growth of this industry to make sure that they can actually leverage the services and products that are offered, make it convenient um, and either create, you know, again, all cultures are different. So maybe there does need to be more discretion in some cultures. Um, mm. Maybe regulation is different in certain cultures. Yeah. Maybe hasn't mm. been written yet. Data protection. Uh, perhaps it's, you know, a tradition of going to the hospital uh, or a doctor with one significant other, as opposed to alone and, and having a comfort mm-hmm. of talking about things. How do we create that comfort and that knowledge um, mm-hmm. or allowing even just anonymous communities where women can ask these yeah. questions. 
So, you know, there really is uh, so much work that needs to be done. So there yeah. is really, really <laughs> a lot of space for femtech entrepreneurs to come to the forefront in Asia and really make their mark and mm -hmm. um, create really wonderful solutions that are everything from wearables to simply creating great communities that people can mm -hmm. join. It's, it's all needed right now. Wow. Like after I knew that there is a gap, but like after hearing all of all of things that you said, like, wow, there's definitely a gap. And then I'm so glad that you're what you're doing. You know, you founded the Femtech Association. I mean, it's great. Uh, we talked a bit about like Femtech for, for a while. And uh, I have a couple more questions, um, you know. So, it, so for your for the entrepreneur journey, so obviously Femtech Asia has achieved a lot in the past two years. I mean, you've done so many, so many things, amazing things, and um, and you, I'm sure you must be so proud of yourself and your success and achievements. Uh, but entrepreneurship also comes with a lot of like challenges and stuff like that. We talked about it a, a bit. Um, from your experience, you founded One B Consulting for your consultancy company and also Femtech Association Asia. So, what are some of the uh, the biggest lessons that you learned in your entrepreneur journey so far? <laughs> oh, that is a really good question. That is a really good question. Um, first thing that comes to mind is again, I keep using the word. I probably just use it too much, but I think for me, it's been the most impactful thing and the most helpful thing, the most influential thing the most supportive thing is community. So I think mm -hmm. all, it's surround yourself when you're building a business with people that you admire, that are you're inspired by, that are doing things that you're interested in, that you mm -hmm. think are influencing positively um, and, and are really engaged in the world around them. Because I think we really are a reflection of the sum of the people we spend the most time with. And I'm, I'm sure you've heard that a million times before. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I really do believe that it's important to keep a really solid community. And I'm fortunate that I, I moved to Singapore at a funny time. It was right when COVID yeah. two months later, we were in lockdown. But actually what came with being kind of on the island, you know, for a couple years straight or, or 18 months straight is that no one was traveling. Singapore is known for people coming in and out and all around and yeah. every weekend right? get a, four people together for dinner is, is just impossible. You know, everyone is traveling so much. So actually I feel really fortunate to have been here during COVID. So the silver lining of a very tragic mm -hmm. time and a very detrimental time to many of us. And of course I had my own challenges, but one of the silver linings was that I made a lot of friends because the community was solid and consistent here and no one was traveling. So, you know, once we started opening up a little bit, I was able to connect with so many people repeatedly and regularly to build strong relationships. So again, the importance of community. The second thing I learned, I think, is when we think about advisory boards for businesses, I think it's really important to almost have like a, a, men, a mentorship board for oneself. You know, it, we can't expect mm. one mentor to fulfill all of our questions yeah. and, and all of Maybe one person will be really great for you to talk with about your funding journey and fundraising and introducing mm -hmm. you to investors. Someone else might be better at marketing and social media and mm -hmm. actually helping you build the actual brand that you're building. You know? mm -hmm. So I think it's important to have a few different people as your trusted advisors as an individual. So that'd be the second mm -hmm. lesson is actually think about creating a board of mentors for oneself. Um, and then maybe one other thing I think I've learned is uh, the importance of patience and mm -hmm. knowing push and pull. And I think having patience and knowing that, you know, in the first couple years of a new business, there's a lot of adrenaline, there's a lot of excitement, there's so much passion. And really, it's how do you maintain that? Or how does one maintain that over many, many years? Because business yeah. is often built and sold within two years. I'm sure there are wonderful cases in those <laughs> who did. And, and I admire them greatly as well. So it, it's really having that balance of, of mm. patience and drive to just keep motivated, to keep making impact and, and keep building one's business. So, so maybe, you know, community, that board of mentors, and then a little bit of patience to endure those middle years. Wow, those are really great advice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, like, yeah, patience is definitely important too, because I feel like, you know, when we are hitting that adrenaline, adrenaline, and then like, you know, some achievement, you're like, oh my gosh, this is such a great journey. And then like, of course, there are some moments like super long. Why am I like, doing this? Yeah. yeah, why am I doing this? Like, oh my God, I'm just going to go back. 
everyone has that. I think everyone has those moments of, of doubt, frustration, <gasps> yeah. um, you know, sadness. You know, I mean, every emotion, right? It's like you could name every emotion and it would be applied. Exactly, exactly. Community. Okay, I, I'll keep that in mind. Something that I'm lacking, to be honest. I don't know. Like, I, I know the importance of community, but like, I don't know. It has been not my strengths to be honest but i know the i know the importance i I'm, I'm very aware of it something that i i really want to be better at this year but thanks for bringing that up i i, I agree with you on the uh community well you're building it right now we're we're part of a community now aren't we you and oh. i so, so i yeah i think every person you talk with is part of your community so it's just you know, that and making sure you know and and, and not being scared to ask Ask the ask. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's the thing. Yes. 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 Everyone's absolutely. Really so I'm sure you've had the same experience that everyone really wants to help. People are pretty great. People are amazing. Yeah. People. Yeah. When you actually reach out to people, they're very helpful, actually. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. People love helping other people. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. I agree. <laughs> Okay, so uh, just a um, couple more questions. So do you have a, uh, it's a big question, but do you have a life mantra that you live by? A life mantra? I, you know, I, I don't have the mantra I think I use every day, but I, I can maybe talk a little bit about an article that I read in 2013 in the New York Times that I consistently go back to time and time again. And that would be an uh, Adam Grant uh, oh, I love Adam Grant. He's wonderful, isn't he? So he, um, there was an article written about him and it was, you know, an interview with him and talking about his work. And the article was titled, Is Giving the Secret to Getting Ahead? And so I come back to this a lot because it's the concept of helpfulness and the benefits mm. of helping others oh. and some altruism and not expecting something in return. And, you know, a lot of people say, you know, we'll do favors because then they can ask a favor, which I think is not for, for him, wasn't mm -hmm. to look at it. And I think it really opened my eyes to the idea of how can I, you know, I've always been someone who's loved helping others. It's just in my nature. You know, I've always, you know, been in, in you know, I, I love mentoring colleagues, uh, you know, or, or juniors on my team. I, I've loved running teams. I really enjoy it. Or I love being involved in charity work and sitting on boards mm -hmm. and really trying to make an impact through leadership. I think this article really helped pivot my mindset, though, to, you know, everything is an opportunity to give. And if everyone operated that way in a, in a global space, if we all just thought, how could I help someone? It doesn't mean doing everything for them or spending mm. hours. What's, what's one thing we could do to help one person when we're mm. talking about And I think if we just constantly are giving back and, and helping others, you know, it, the whole world would be a better place. And I think we could all get ahead faster. And by getting ahead, I don't mean financially. I mean, you know, moving our businesses forward or moving our, or keeping our mental health positive or our physical mm -hmm. health positive for that matter, mm -hmm. building communities or helping each other where they're trying to, to, you know, improve or, or, or learn. So, yeah. So I would say is giving the secret to getting ahead an article that had a lot of impact on me and something I've really tried to adhere to and remember as I move through the working world because because i think sometimes as entrepreneurs we focus on our own businesses so much and our own journeys so much that it's important mm -hmm. to also remember to help others along the way mm -hmm. um, because we never know what we'll learn from those experiences as well yeah. and just the joy of helping others is quite great wow 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 it's like a master class <laughs> <laughs> not always i'm sure there are times where people are like what is going on you seem very stressed out but you know, I'm in, in a good space right now. So in a good space right now, in a growth space, so all good. Yeah, I love it. I'm going to look it up. I love Adam Grant. And uh, yeah, I'll definitely look it up. But yeah, super cool. Yeah, um, yeah. So I the last question that I have for you is, I ask this question to all my guests. Uh, so what is your favorite book that you like to recommend to our listeners? That is, that's a good question. And it's such a big question. I, I love reading. Um, and I've read a lot of books that have had a lot of impact on me. The, I guess my, my beach read I'll start with is um, the rules of civility. So I love a good fiction and Amor Tolls, I think is a, a wonderful writer. I enjoy his writing. Um, he's written a few books that are spectacular, but the one I really loved was the rules of civility. Okay. As far as femtech, which I always want to encourage people to get involved with rather than necessarily diving into women's health, I think mm. an interesting perspective on it is 
you know, the gender data gap. And there's a book called Invisible Women by Caroline Criado Perez. And that was kind of one of the first books I read that opened my eyes to the, um, how the world is built in, in, not everywhere, but in many places through urban planning, medical research, um, and, and so many other ways around kind of the male average, as opposed to the inclusivity of, of, of women. And so I think that's a really great book, Invisible Women, to just get a better understanding of where these gaps are and how surprising it was to even know yeah. about some of these gaps. So those would be the two books I'd recommend um, as, as a beach read and a, <laughs> and, or, or a leisure read. I should call it more than a beach read, a, le a leisure read and a kind of industry, an in, a more industry related book as well. Mm -hmm. Love that. I'll start from there as well. Like even I'm, I'm a woman, I, I know that like, there are so many, so much things that I don't know. Okay. So yeah, I'll, I'll definitely look it up too. Yeah. So yeah, the, the leader read and the, the gender, sorry, gender gap. Sorry. What was that invisible woman? Sorry. Invisible, invisible woman. woman. Yes. That's exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Those are my recommendations. How about you? What do you recommend or what have you read lately? That's had some impact for you. Ah, that's a good question. Lately, to be honest, I haven't read much. No I feel I guilty. You know what? Honestly, but um, I should read more because, like, I need—I somehow need to find some time to read more because, like, even though I'm, I'm like, oh, I don't have time to read, but like, I know that reading inspires me so much more. And I, of course, I have time. I, I, I have time to watch Netflix, so like, I shouldn't <laughs> make that excuse. But. One book that I really, really like is uh, the Start With Why by Simon Sinek. I'm a huge Simon Sinek uh, fan. Um, so that's like my kind of go-to book, I would say. Oh, have, you, have you read or do you know? That's a really good one. Yeah, that's a very yeah? good one. That's, yeah, mm -hmm. very inspiring. And it's a good reminder, isn't it, to always keep focused on the why. Obviously, that's what it's called, you know? So yes. It's, it's really, <laughs> that's a really good book. That's a great suggestion. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much, Lindsay. Uh, so yeah, that's all I got. But uh, yeah, can you tell us like how can people find you and learn about learn more about Femtech uh, Association Asia? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I welcome everyone to connect. Anyone and everyone who ever wants to connect on LinkedIn, I obviously you know welcome welcome that um, a per, on a personal level as Lindsay Davis. The other side of it is I absolutely love it when people come to our LinkedIn page. We have a link tree on there with our member application form, articles, past. Uh, past awards we've won, and just to learn more about, about women's health. Also, we have events regularly. So we, of course, include the public and ask people to join us if they want to learn wow. more. So join our LinkedIn page at Femtech Asia. Find me, Lindsay Davis. And if you have any questions at all or just want to talk about Femtech, it's you know a topic I spend a great deal of my time focusing on and, and I'm really passionate about. So if you know anyone who's thinking about founding a business wants to chat, let me know. Um, wants to learn more about the landscape of Asia and femtech, let me know. Um, otherwise, I hope we get a chance to do another piece of work together or maybe a podcast, Lucy, or oh. something together at some point. And if you ever find yourself in Singapore, please let me know. Oh, I will. hundred percent. All the good food you can eat, Lucy. All the good food you can eat. <laughs> I have a, so I actually visited the uh, the Femtech Asia the LinkedIn page. It's really pretty, and then like there are many posts like occasionally, like every week there are like three to four posts. And then like if anyone who's interested in Femtech, definitely go ahead and check it out because there are so many like great resources. Um, and also saw that like on your Linktree uh, links, I saw the membership. Like there are different kind of like. I, if I'm not mistaken, like individuals can also sign up, also organizations yes. can sign up. Like, could Absolutely. you tell us more about like who can sign up for the membership? Sure, we're, we're open to it. It really is a very inclusive space, as I mentioned. We have founders, of course, mm. from Asia, but of course, founders whose businesses were started overseas. Wow. We have professionals working in the space that might be investors, that might be media, that might be consultants working in the femtech space like me. I do a lot of femtech consulting or women's health consulting for, for businesses. So, you know, moving on from there, we also have um, enthusiasts. So we welcome mm -hmm. people who are just really excited and interested about femtech yeah. or maybe even considering starting their own business or working in the space to join. Oh. The whole idea is that we wanna create an ecosystem and a community that gives as many opportunities for learning for new founders um, and, and inspiration for maybe those who are thinking about getting involved in women's health. Or for other people, it's just to you know, have a really wonderful community of people who are trying to make impact 
and yeah. and and create opportunities for women to own their own healthcare decisions um, and and guide their own healthcare journeys more. So I, you know, there's a lot of reasons to join, and I think it's it's about what's what inspires that individual the most. Wow, that's super cool. You're really like creating a a femtech kind of like community where people can gather and talk about like femtech and just like it's really cool. Wow, like uh, you're community builder expert. <laughs> Thank you. I love it so much. And obviously, please join us anytime as well. And obviously, your listeners are welcome to join any of our events. We do a lot of virtual to make sure that we can, wow, you know, that's include cool. our friends from around the world. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. I really just appreciate you raising the profile of, of femtech and women's health and the businesses there are. Thank you for including, you know, femtech Association of Asia as part of your, uh, you know, yeah. part of your profiling. Thank you for including us over here in Singapore um, oh. and, and, and just, you know, sharing some of the experience of an expat who's now lived in, you know, however many six countries or however many I've lived in. <laughs> Um, it's, you know, it's really such a pleasure to, I, I feel very honored and spoiled that, that, you know, to have your time. So thank you very much for that. Oh my gosh, Lindsay, you, like, wow, I'm such an honor and that you make me feel so good. <laughs> thank you Everyone, for that. You're welcome. Everyone should always be supporting other people. So, you know, let's keep that, you know, paying it forward. So. Oh, thank you. Okay, I'm gonna link uh, Lindsay's uh, LinkedIn um, and then uh, Vampac Association Asia information all in in the show notes. So definitely check it out. So thank you, Lindsay. Uh, this is it. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend and week. Thank you for joining us this week. Hope you learned something new from this episode, and now you are motivated and fired up to make your dream come true. Make sure to share with others who might need to listen to this podcast because this is something they needed to listen to to be inspired. We never know. Lastly, be sure to subscribe and follow Self Made Express with Lucy John on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Or wherever you listen to podcasts, and I will talk to you very soon. Thanks for being here.